Welcome to the Young Adult Ministry Podcast. The Yeah. Where we discuss everything you need to know and perhaps some things you don't about how to fail forward in young adult ministry. These monthly podcasts discuss culture topics, interview guests, cover books, and rift on anything else that we feel like is relevant. Hello, my name is Kenny. I live in the Boise, Idaho area where I'm the volunteer director with my local church, Young Adult Ministry. And I'm Chris in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm on staff with University Christian Fellowship as a church engagement catalyst and the national coordinator for Campus Mission, which is an outreach of the Church of the Nazarene to college and university students. And I'm Jeremy in Nashville, Tennessee, where I serve as the university pastor and community engagement pastor at Trebekah Community Church. And, and here, here we go. Here we go. Go. How are you doing, Kenny? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm I'm in shoes, both feet tomorrow. I'm a week a week uh, ago. Got my stitches. Well, a week ago, Thursday, I'll have had my stitches out. But today, it was a month ago. Today, I had the surgery. I'm walking around the house, just in my on my feet, no augmentation, no boot. So. Try not to push it too quick, but as soon as I get in shoes, I'm going to go walking, you know. How's it feel? Uh, it feels good. I'm not in any pain. Um, it's amazing how muscles atrophy for lack of use and then how weird it feels to begin to use them normally again and the strain with them. That's That's been interesting. I accidentally bumped it. Um getting out of the shower this morning like i bumped one heel into the other heel and that was that woke me up other than that i'm i'm doing great just now that i'm getting more mobile i'm really wondering like what i'm going to be doing next and i just i have no further updates on that front so um, i was gonna say how are you guys feeding the family what's going on you doing okay yeah, no, we're 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 good for now. I mean, I think we're still kind of cruising from previous income, and and um, we have we're we're not going to starve anytime soon. It's just it will soon no longer be. Um, we'll be getting into savings instead of uh, living on what we're living on what we're making. So as soon as I can, I'm going to start doing food service stuff again do food delivery and help supplement a little bit yeah yeah cool and you guys i'm doing good we made it through our covid situation so my daughter got the covid uh, diagnosis actually last tuesday a week ago um so we pretty much quarantined yesterday according to cdc guidelines or whatever five days after symptom something something uh you can go get tested and then safely emerge from your cocoon of isolation the covid cocoon <laughs> i mean i haven't seen my daughter in a few days anyway she just stays in her room the whole time wow and deb deb takes her food occasionally and and then sprays everything down with lysol all the doorknobs and everything again man 
but so far nobody else has shown any symptoms or any signs of sickness and she's she's pretty much better she's still a little bit fatigued um, but that's the only lingering symptom i think she can taste things again she lost the the taste for a, a few days which was unnerving for her because she loves food sure i would hate that <laughs> that'd be weird I wonder if that's something you can do to yourself to almost like an appetite suppressant. Like, would you eat less if you couldn't taste it? Hmm. Apparently that's true. Maybe. I like the taste of food. That's why I think I want to eat. I I crave things because of the flavor. Yeah, that's the culinary equivalent of castration. I don't know that you'd want to do that. Wow. That is culinary. That's some heavy verbiage, bro. It's like taste Glad we weren't recording yet. Uh, yeah, you wish we weren't. <laughs> you don't have your cameras on. That red light says record. Oh. <laughs> no, that was great. I don't, that's something that needs shared. I don't think we should keep that from the world. Culinary castration. Come on. That's like, that's, that's up there with covotomy, you know? But yeah. I haven't been to the gym in eight days, nine days now, and I'm really feeling that. Yeah, I instantly put on. I literally put on ten pounds in the last eight days. Oh wow! Were you eating the same? Yeah, I pretty much kept eating. Actually, I eat worse when I'm not going to the gym. I make even dumber food choices. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. It's not like you're eating the same and then cut out the physical activity and you gained weight. It's like you're eating more, therefore. Well, I was doing an hour of cardio a day, six days a week for like four weeks. So I was, I was steadily dropping weight again, um, trying to gear up for the next hike in May. Um, But so now I got to start over. I'm back up to 205. Congratulations. My goal weight being 180. You can do it. Cardio makes a difference. Time on feet makes a huge difference, doesn't it? It does. Damn. Yeah. And for, for whatever reason, just mentally, you know, when I'm, when I'm being disciplined by going to the gym every day, I tend to make more disciplined choices overall. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, even spiritually, I feel like my emotional, spiritual, physical health, those are very intertwined. Yeah, me too. And unfortunately, it seems like I, my physical self has to lead the way. I, I can't just all of a sudden become disciplined spiritually and then get healthy physically. I pretty much have to get healthy physically and that helps me to get more disciplined spiritually. Um, that's a very interesting, you know, problem. I don't know if that's true for a lot of people, but anyway. Yeah. No, I think that's, yeah, the whole domino effect thing, but especially starting with, with physical, I, I feel like that's, because that's the easiest. That. Yeah. I mean, it's the easiest way to exert control or to control outcomes i guess well yeah because that I, presents some problems theologically though to to think that spiritually then you're controlling outcomes but mm-hmm. for whatever reason my if i'm being undisciplined physically food nutrition exercise chances are i'm not in a real good space spiritually or emotionally either mm-hmm. Unless you're Gnostic and you can completely separate those things. I know a lot of evangelical Nazarene Gnostics that, that aren't, they, they wouldn't identify that way, but I, it helps me mm. in understanding them. Body bad. Mm. 
Uh, Jeremy? Jeremy? Yeah, what's up? Yeah, we're um this is the first day. You might see I'll try to block it once we start talking more, but see some staff. It it's the first time in a long time that we've had other people in the office. Um or that I've been in there and other people because I was in quarantine and then everybody else in staff got sick. So it's been interesting, the whole fatigue thing that you mentioned, Chris, like Pastor Shauna, when she was preaching on Sunday or even our worship pastor, like he stopped in the middle of a song and did one of those like pastoral moment things and full on said like, I'm stopping right now because I can't breathe enough to sing. And so I'm going to wow. like, and he like tied it in with like a good pastoral thing, but like he just got completely winded and couldn't, um, and both of them, um, like a week or two recovered from COVID. I, I'm realizing I'm the only one of us trio that has not had to quarantine for someone in my family having, having COVID because neither of you have had COVID, correct? No. Yeah. And, and like, I've tried. Yeah. I was going to say, I know. Honestly, like, and I mean, this like with the reality of so many people passing away, like also having, knowing lots of people who have gotten decently sick, but have recovered from it. You know, I was stuck indoors for three weeks and I still am at the same amount of risk of getting COVID as I was like, as like I went through the quarantine um, and still are at risk. So I am trying to make some healthier choices so that as I can, we continue to do more things. Um, I'm drinking less coffee and I'm trying out this thing. It's called mud water. Oh yeah. I've heard of this. Yeah. I need to drink more water period. (laughs) That's, um, but I'm trying that for today. I also just got, um, a, like a stand-up desk. Treadmill's next. Treadmill (laughs) desk. Let's go. Yeah, I I was needing to start to go back to the chiropractor, and I was like, "Do you think that maybe when I was this, I'm here because my lower back pain was derived from sitting on and working on my couch for three weeks in quarantine?" <laughs> He's like, "Yeah, probably." So <laughs> I got this. I just got it. Like I got it in the mail. This is the first day that I'm getting to use it. Um, it's just like a, it's like a TV tray, just with like it's spring loaded. Um, and so it's, it only, yeah, it's, if you go on Amazon and search it, it's like the Amazon suggestion. It's one of the more cost-effective ones, but sweet. Yeah. So got that. What year were you born, Jeremy? 90? 91. Okay. Kenny, 77? Yep. Six? Yep. 77. Okay. Sorry. Are are you, are you doing some computations over there? What, what, What are you doing here? Go ahead. What 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 year were you born, Chris? Seventy one. I was twenty when you were born. Wow. You were a young adult when Jeremy was born. <laughs> <laughs> wow, well, yeah. I had just transferred to Mount Vernon Naz. Uh forsaken my uh, double major in chemistry and physics to follow Jesus. Pick up that cross. Seriously, why are you writing down our birth years? What what are you doing over there in in Ohio? I don't know. There's just lots of times where I'm trying to remember, like, wait, how old is he? Yeah. (laughs) Now, if I I just keep the birth years in mind, I'll be able to figure that out. You get it. Okay. 
Okay. Yeah, all uh, young at sorry, heart. Jeremy, you were you were you were still going, I think. I uh, I'm not sure where I was uh, where I was headed. I didn't know that that was what your double major was. My current like um before you went to Mount Vernon, my current like um uh hobby, the stuff that I listen to and I'm not listening to like ministry or business related stuff is um like quantum physics podcasts. Oh my uh, gosh. Nice. Uh partly because it's something that I'm like I'm not an expert in or like very knowledgeable on. So it's like very, very stretchy and it makes me, it's a good dose of humility. But like growing up, I always wanted to work for NASA. I always found black holes interesting. So there's a podcast called Mindscape by a guy who does not have any respect for the Christian faith uh, named Sean Carroll, I think. Mm. Um, but it's interesting. So it's interesting. He's like, uh, not like wrathful, like um, like Dawkins is, but more just like <laughs> condescending, jovial um, but the podcast itself is he's very, very smart and interviews a lot of really, really interesting people, people. So um, when I'm trying to rest more, but I still want to listen to something that's like, there's no practical use for this, which for me, most things have a practical use in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, these podcasts, they don't have a practical use in my life and I enjoy them. So that's, been- but, and, and not, and not to be disparaging here. But the practical use is that it has no practical use in your life, which is a practical use to you, therefore defeating the purpose of it not being a practical use. That is true. I'm strategic in using it. And that's why I watch Big Bang Theory instead of listening to quantum physics. So <laughs> that, was a, that, that was a judo move right there. That was good. <laughs> oh, man, Jeremy. That, wow, dude. You listen to quantum physics recreationally. I am not surprised, <laughs> but I, I don't like, I, I understand very little of it, but I, I find it very, very interesting. I I've that. always loved, I've always loved astronomy. Um, so I get that. Yep. Well, so that's kind of our, our check-in Chris, what were you going to say? Uh, just something about, is it Polkinghorne? He's one of the famous kind of physicists, um, but he also has a, uh, phd in you know theology or something okay he's a he's an open theist oh yeah yeah is that where'd you pull that name from like a thomas ord kind of thing yeah yeah um polkinghorn i've got a couple of books of his because i i've done a lot of dabbling in sort of science and faith and integration versus confrontation kind of stuff i like to talk about that kind of stuff with students quite a bit um Mm -hmm. And I had a student who did a co-op with NASA and it was fun to kind of vicariously, you know, nerd out a little bit with him and his NASA experience. But, um, but anyway, Kitty, you were saying segue onto the point. Well, I could just keep talking with you guys for just about whatever. It would be fun. Cause we're we friends. This time. Yeah. Cause we're friends like that. But you know, Jeremy's like, Jeremy's at his day job. He's, he can't be Batman right now. He's, he's got to, he's got to keep up the appearances. So um, yeah, I, it's good to have a little bit of check-in together. I, I wanted to also just hear about local young adult ministry, just like anything you wanted to share in, the, in that department. Yeah, I know for me, kind of as what we've talked about in previous discussions, finding that balance of how to use technology effectively right now while also being strategic and finding as many in-person touch points as possible is part of 
the reality of navigating young adult ministry right now. So for me, it's a weekly Bible study that when we don't have a big ice storm come through uh, Tennessee, um, that we um, that we meet on Wednesday nights and still have a group that we're going through the Bible in a year, which I will say, signing up to go through a Bible in a year plan with eight to 10, it started at 10. Uh, it's probably at least half that at this point. Um, in terms of people who are, you know, responding in the what stood out to you today thing. So, uh, but for those who are doing it, it is meaningful. I also underestimated the number of questions I would be presented with from like Leviticus mm. and uh, wow. things that I've studied before, but just by virtue of being in obscure places in the Old Testament, have never had to, you know, translate it into people who don't translate it into a framework that's understood by people who don't require getting a theology degree to understand it. So, you know, talking about some of the sacrifice stuff, some of the judgment stuff, some of the uh, di disparities in terms of compensate financial compensation when you injure or uh, unintentionally kill a man versus a woman. And that it's like, one and a half times the financial contribution. Very good conversations um, that are coming out of it, just ones that are really stretching me and taking my theological training because um, I don't usually ever teach or preach out of the book of Leviticus or Numbers. So it's been it's been good. Too bad there's like practical application uh, about the compensation there with wage earning between men and women in the workplace. Like what's 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 that hanging on for? very good point hey leviticus twenty four sixteen. Oh no whoever whoever utters the name of the lord shall be put to death <laughs> if if you've under, ever wondered why jews don't you know say the name of god um it's that verse right there but uh yeah leviticus it has some verses some stuff in there where you read it and you're like really mm -hmm. it's got all that yeah and a bag of <laughs> so i think <laughs> or, or, sometimes as christians we we forget how odd, you know, the Bible can be, you know, to those who are outside of our, um, you know, affiliated tribes. I just don't read Leviticus a lot. So when I do, it's weird. So that's, that's how it I do is it. It is weird. Also, that'll teach you for reading through the Bible with young adults. That'll <laughs> learn you. No, that's yeah. awesome. I think it is. Yeah. I'm just jealous because young adults do stuff with you. So that's cool. <laughs> It's, it's also challenging because then like what happens when hypothetically the college pastors seven days behind and it's, you know, juni juniors and seniors that are leading the, like, I'm still doing it, but I've gotten, you know, like every, you know, every once in a while, there's a day I miss it or something. And I'm, I've been slowly working my way back to catching up. I haven't skipped any days, but I'm also getting to these questions that the students are positing uh, in the, in the message board like four to five days after the fact. So it's also been convicting on making sure that I uh, spend the time each day doing that. So. so you have young adults that do a study with you, stay consistent in it. They're ahead of you in the study. And they also take the time to post on message boards about it to have conversation with people about what they're studying. They, and 
most of them are ones who have been have been raised in the church and by God's grace have been raised by a church and by family where it's a handful that have seen the church exemplified really well. Mm. And now to be fair, most of the young adults you're dealing with are Treveca students, right? Yes. Okay. That was my next question was, are they all Treveca? They're, they're students at a Christian university. Uh, Some perhaps religion majors, probably most not, but um, yeah, that's definitely, and, that's definitely a little slice of a demographic. Yes. Yeah. When you, uh, when you take, when you slice the, when you put those demographics on top of each other, it's uh, the people who had signed up to do it are the ones who were going to, are going to be the most likely to stay up on it. Um, Cause it is, I, I think just, just because they go to a Christian university, let alone Nazarene, my experience is not that they want to do all the things that Jeremy's talking about doing, because if they are doing true, them already, true. Yeah. And so they're, they're, they are a very unique slice of students and, and dedicate, and it's, it's awesome. Yeah. Yes. I'm very, yeah, I'm we're very, both kind of, we're both kind of jealous, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's what I'm hearing here. Cause uh, I mean, Kenny, you're in close proxim- proximity to, uh, you know, and another Nazarene university. Um, yeah. But, he, but you, know, you probably don't interact as much with NNU students as you do sort of normal young adults in Boise. Right. Well, pre Pre, actually, I, I interact with them more because they're on the youth staff. And since I'm on the youth staff and I and I see those 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 students are there and interns, pre COVID, um, with the different roles that I've had, I, I've been on Northwest Nazarene campus quite a bit. Let alone friendships that I have on staff or faculty, and and so it would actually it it was it's easier for me to get onto campus at NNU than it is to be around any other type of young adults or college students that are connected with our church in, in Boise. Um, so in uh, pre-COVID, I had actually, I don't know who I said it to, but they repeated to somebody and I got in a little bit of, well, I didn't get in trouble, but it was like, it, the comment wasn't appreciated by a young adult. I had said to somebody, look, the NEU students are taken care of. We got NEU students that are coming over to our church they're connected with people in community. They have a campus community. If they want to engage in community, they have it. My focus is the young adults that aren't going to school, that are maybe working, maybe they're not. My focus is the young adults connected with our church and college students and grad students that, that don't have that NNU community. And so that's where I'm putting my energy and, and focus. And I don't know if I said that publicly sometime or if somebody repeated to somebody, but it got back to me that one of the NU students was like really upset about that. And, and my, my initial, my where's initial, the love? Where's well, the love? Yeah, it was kind of, but my initial response was, well, number one, why didn't you come talk to me? And, and number two, I don't care. I mean, that was my callous kind of response was like, so go talk we'll to your, go talk to one of your three counselors or your chaplain at, at your university. You know, these, uh, these guys over here don't have any of those resources that you have. Yeah. I'm, maybe maybe it's because they liked me and now they now they don't anymore. But I went to the youth pastor. Actually, the youth pastor told me that because he was in community with them. And I said, "Hey, would you please pass on to that person that I would really like to talk with them? Like I'd like to hear their perspective." And I'm I'm sorry that they were they were hurt. Well, whether he passed that message on, this is just amazing dysfunctional communication triangulation here. But I was trying to protect. 
his relationship with them and them confiding in him, but then him sharing with me, hey, there's one of the NNU students is kind of upset that you're not putting any attention there and you're not really apologetic about it. I wasn't flipping about it. I just, I said, this is my, this is my tag. Anyway, they never came and talked to me. I've actually been thinking about that lately. Like who, who is that? You know, who's this person that's feeling like they're out in the wind and I don't know. Maybe that's why young adults don't do year long Bible studies with me. That could be part of it. Also, I can't figure out how to send an email. So none of them are getting emails. The last three that I sent, if they even read them to begin with, but. I think one of one of the things that I've at least attempted in thinking, I'll tie this in with what you just shared, Kenny. Uh, I took this from another church I'd heard from a few years ago, where the idea was W plus two, where it was worship plus two other points of contact, and that, like, whether that's serving, most likely that's serving somewhere and being discipled somewhere, and by virtue of being on the campus where I am also being in Nashville, like I could very easily put together a midweek worship service because we've got tons of really talented people in our church on our campus, but kind of like what you said, like why do what's not needed? Um, You're replicating something for a demographic in doing that. Yeah. I, it was, so for me, it was like, okay. um, I know there are on our Sunday mornings in chapel service, like the worship, the worship piece is handled. Like there are plenty of opportunities. So where do I find areas to disciple and, and serve? And like you mentioned, our youth groups the same way. Most of our youth group is led by youth leaders who are college students. And a lot of them, like I have a, you know, a good friendship with, but like, I don't have, like they're being poured into by other pastors on staff. I'm like, not that they, yeah, they don't need me. Like most of the students that I'm connecting with, the ones who are doing that, I'm the, not that I need to be, but by virtue of where they are plugged in, I'm their main point of contact. You're their pastor. Yeah. And for me, it's wherever you get plugged in, it's great. Like this is the one area that I can help move it to where there wasn't already something like that. Um, it's like yeah. Nazarene young life, man. That's cool. That you got, uh, you know, students engaged in in serving in the local church, but I get what you're saying is that they've got, they've got this, they've got this, but here's what I can offer, or here's what our church can really add to supplement, you know, what some of these students might need, or these young adults uh, might need. In a, in a meaningful way, which is yeah. what I, you can speak for yourself, Chris, but I feel like that's what you, like a lot of what you do as well. Like it's, it's finding the meaningful relationship in ministry. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, with the young adults that I'm hanging out with in our local church setting on the outskirts of Cincinnati, um, you know, I have basically these are the reject students who are not going to a Nazarene school. So they're, <laughs> they're part of our, you, you know, back. college you back right now. Yeah, sorry. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, sometimes we can definitely... Um, yeah, we can definitely mark some young adults as lower class citizens spiritually if they're not going to one of our schools or something like that. But um fallacy. So, so it's been interesting because these students are like they're students at UC or Northern Kentucky University or Miami University in Oxford, which is nearby, um, or you know some of the local kind of campuses. But what's f- kind of funny is that I just sent out a group me. So we've got like 50 of these young adults 
who are mostly college age that are part of our church somehow they're peripherally connected um the most engagement i've gotten out of this group me chat this group me you know text thread or whatever um was earlier today when i just i thought i would try to confirm one of these things from the social dilemma we're going to talk about here in a second um in in just asking them hey what are your top three social media platforms you know that you use the most and i've gotten like nearly 20 responses i rarely ever get more than three people engaged in something i mm-hmm. put on that group me but for whatever reason this one you know everybody's chiming in you know and pretty much it is you know snapchat instagram tiktok uh, tend to be kind of the three tops so far. Uh, I've got a couple of outliers who use Twitter a lot, um, which is interesting to me for a, you know, a Gen Z mm-hmm. type or a cusper who's like barely Gen Z kind of millennial. But that tends um, to run with what their friend group is doing, right? Like, or where they're from, you know, I, in in my travels, as I talked with different teens and young adults around the country, I found that specific to their geographical location was the social media that they were using so there would be these there'd be these twitter pockets because all their friends that went to the same school were using twitter to dm each other interesting Hmm. yeah that's kind of strange and then the for me the other thing that the group me thing has really been helpful for because for whatever reason that's been the most effective way for us to communicate with all this the college agers who are part of this it's basically a Sunday school class at our church, Springdale Nazarene church. Um, and so, you know, sometimes it's either, you know, light things like this or, you know, one young adult I'm connecting with, he'll, he'll often share quite vulnerably um, some mental health issues and stuff that he's going through. Um, and I've been able to connect with him through group me and set up basically an extra, like, Hey, we should get together. Let me, let's hang out and talk. And, and he's really struggling. Um, and he's not actually a, a college student, you know, immediately he's, um, you know, just working like 22, 23 years old or something like that. But anyway, that's kind of interesting to me is that group me has been fairly effective in some ways, but then other times it's random, like it, you know, something really odd and, you know, non-serious, so to speak. When I ask them a question, I get a lot of engagement. But if I ask something pretty serious or invite them into like a version Bible study thing together, um, I might get two or three responses. (laughs) Do the young adults get annoyed that they're in a text group where when their message is a whole group that they're getting that notification? And then when people respond to it, they get that notification as well. If so, they're not expressing that um, annoyance in the group chat. They might be muting. Feeling, they might be feeling that, um, or they might be leaving. I mean, occasionally we have somebody that leaves the group, and you get the message like so and so. Yeah, that, that little message is fun. Left the group, and you're like, oh, okay, they were not, you know, they were not down with all this kind of chat chatter. Well, I've done these groups with with adults and young adults and people I'm collaborating with and whatever, but. I'll ask people, are you getting the message? And they're like, no, I haven't been getting any messages. Well, you're in the group. Yeah, I'm in the group. And then I go back and look and they've got the little bell next to their name and it's got a little slash through it and they've muted the all conversations or whatever. No notifications. Yeah. And it's like, oh, well, they're in the group, but that's just so that they say that they can be in the group. Of course, that is one of the solutions that 
we land at with the social dilemma, the Netflix documentary, is that, you know, you should turn off all notifications so that your life isn't controlled by your smartphone. So, Chris, you sent us an article. I know you tried to segue twice the social dilemma and we're and we're getting there. But you sent us an article with statistics about young adults. And one of them that was intriguing to me was the one that said 40 percent. 40% of Gen Zers are on Facebook. And I was like, eh, not, I don't know about that. Yeah, there were some, there were some parts of that that I was questioning for sure. Um, some of the stats didn't ring true with some other stats that, that I've read. And I think were they in, in the first part there, they kept saying 2020. Do they mean by 20, 2030, not 2020? Let me give you a, for instance, um, 40% of U.S. consumers will be Gen Zers by 2020. But the article was was written this month. I took that as they were, re- because at the very bottom, for those of you following along at home, it's uh, review42.com that has these Gen, G, Gen Z statistics. Nice. When I was reading that, Kenny, I took it as um, at the very bottom, they had that list of all the people that they pulled from, that they were pulling stats from previous years okay and so they were stating it like accurately it just seems dated based off that i could have been reading that wrong well because two bullet points down it says by 2030 30 percent of global workforce will be gen z but i think gen z and millennials combined right now generationally are already over like 59 50? Yeah, they're they're already a majority of the yeah. of the workforce. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was definitely some some interesting stuff in there. Um, yeah, it go, the article goes into detail about statistics and trends related to technology, social media, work. I think what was the percentage of the one that you pointed out in our group chat, Chris? That was it, twenty six percent. Uh, Gen Zers expect to make 60,000 in their first year out of college. Yeah, yeah. And that one was specifically interesting to me because, you know, in conversations with my daughter, who's uh, about to turn 18, um, she definitely has that. (laughs) Now she works a part-time job now. I don't think she's counting like her, her little part-time job in high school. But I think when she thinks about her first real job, she thinks 50 or 60K is reasonable. I wonder, not just specifically to your daughter, but where some of that mindset comes from. Because I'm thinking if I were to follow people on, like, depending on where I were to get my information, uh, if I were to base, like, income off of people who are maybe more popular online and on social media, they're people who live on the coasts where the cost of living is exorbitantly higher and, at least, like, in other places like Tennessee, where I'm at, that is not a reasonable expectation when it comes to what you'll make the first year out of college. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see a breakdown of sort of geographic. Yeah. Stuff. You know, there. I, when you said that, I, I thought that was intriguing, but I, then I also thought, okay, what, what would it take per hour, you know, to make that? And if the minimum wage right now across the board was raised to $15 an hour, people would only be making about 31 grand a year with a full-time job 
where they're working eight hours a day, five days a week. Huh. I'm going to trust your math on well, that. No, please don't. Like, do the, do the, do the uh, computations. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, regardless, this, you know, I, do you guys listen to Tim Elmore? He's one of those people who's kind of been speaking about leadership development with younger generations for quite some time. And he comes out with a new book, you know, every time there's a new demographic that develops. Um, I don't mean that to be a slam at all, Tim. His habitudes. Dr. Tim, I enjoy some of your stuff. Actually, I was just listening to his podcast today on kind of leadership stuff. Um, And he made a point about Gen Z. He said something about them being kind of entitlement oriented and empowered. So they're entitled and empowered and entitled, not just often the us older folks, you know, we do look at younger generations and think, Oh, they're so entitled. They think they deserve this, deserve that or whatever, but there's a good part actually of entitlement that is connected with empowerment, I think, but that Gen Z kind of feels entitled a little bit, but it empowers them to act and to do things, um, that maybe some of us, you know, aren't willing to do. Um, But anyway, I thought it was an interesting sort of uh, critique or observation about, about Gen Z. Mm -hmm. But so the negative side of this entitlement thing is thinking, oh yeah, I'm going to be a YouTuber that makes millions or I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to have this great job and whatever. But the good side of this entitlement thing is this sense of, I can make a difference. Okay, I have the tools Mm -hmm. and the resources and the knowledge and the capability and the sensitivity to all these issues that I can make a difference here. And and honestly, I think that's a really that's a really exciting and good thing. That's good. That's good. Now, the the stat in this article about Facebook that I thought was a little bit sus was that more than 40 percent of Generation Z members have a Facebook account. Well, okay, so I look at my two boys. And my 15 year old has a Facebook account, my, but never uses it, doesn't prevent his grandma from trying to reach out on Facebook, which is part of the issue, maybe that they don't have Facebook. And then my 18 year old son, no Facebook account, doesn't, doesn't need one, barely is interested in, in social media. He uses it, he can, he'll consume it, but he doesn't use it to produce things with. He has an Instagram account, that's the extent of his social media. And then, and then, and gaming. So, and then I thought that the, the, the age group on the 18 or the, um, the Gen Zers of being eight to, to 23 years or 23 years old right now, I thought that that was a little bit low. That's, that's what they listed in here is, you know, there's really no way to pinpoint it, but Gen Z is mostly eight years old to 23 right now. that sit with you guys or does that seem a little bit like it's reaching down to a younger age than what gen z is typically registered at most of what i've seen in the last couple of days anyway uh is 12 to 22 which is a pretty narrow i mean that's a 10 year a lot of times these demographic things end up being about a 15 year span um so i can see why the 18 to 24 makes a little bit of sense but i've been under the impression that my son who's 10 is like the youngest Gen Z. Hmm. Um, but for some, he wouldn't even be part of Gen Z. He's whatever's next. The alpha. Alpha. Alpha, yeah. Yeah. alpha male. 
Yeah, yeah from what I hear from uh, very consistently from uh, people who fall in the Gen Z generation is that they have Facebook because their grandparents want to reach out to them periodically where it's like they may post something they may not but they have it there it's like almost like a placeholder uh, that it's kind of like an, I don't know if anyone I've ever heard anyone use this terminology but it's almost kind of like oh I know that I need to have an email account whether or not I use it <laughs> I, I need a Facebook account whether or not I use it like it's a mm-hmm. placeholder yeah personally it's my it's what my LinkedIn is I have a LinkedIn as a placeholder. So at whatever point I learn how it's useful, I will use it. Yep. Yeah, you're dealing with different networks of people there, which social dilemma. Huh. There you go. Oh, so for those, can we just recap a little bit, summarize like so, so the social dilemma is a Netflix documentary, kind of a docudrama hybrid thing um, by what was the producer Jeff Orlowski or something like that um, follow one of the main people that follows is Tristan Harris, who was like a design ethicist for Google. And he, na- he left Google to start something called the center for humane technology, um, which is an interesting critique in itself that someone in that position left and created something called the center for humane technology. So uh, yeah, the overall idea of the social dilemma is that, social media and technology is developing to a point that it's having some serious negative impact. Um, and so that, that was an idea for this episode is that we in kind of, um, you know, have some interaction with that, with that thing. Have you guys seen this? Yeah, I watched it over the weekends as part of my homework and prepping for this. I, so I, I, I watched it. It was one of those fun things where I forget when it, what night it was, but I, in our group message, I feel like you guys actually had messaged me while I was watching it, but like I heard my phone ringing and there is no way watching this thing that I'm going to reach over and grab my phone because this, this documentary <laughs> is telling me about how addicted I am. I, so I had, I had several people that I, it was very delayed in responding because I was like, I, everyone else was, uh, was already in bed and I, that night and I was just, uh, watching it and was refusing to, to grab my phone, but all that to say, yes. So it's, uh, just in the last week that I've watched this, it was one of those things where it, became, it was so popular. People were talking about it when it first came out that it kind of made me not want to watch it. That's what I did too. I, 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 I had that adverse reaction to it, but Jeremy, it's not your fault. You've been programmed. It's not your fault that you're addicted. This has happened because of, of big, bad social media moguls. Okay. And it came out, I'm not sure exactly when, September or summer of 2020 at some point. Yeah. Something like that. Some of the first reviews and critique articles are in September of 2020. Um, so it must have been August or summer of 2020 or something like that. Yeah, I, there was a lot of buzz about it. I remember not basically just I wasn't avoiding it intentionally. It was just one of those things where it sometimes it just takes me, you know, a few months of hearing something repetitively before I'm like, oh, okay, I should watch that. Um, but yeah, generally, generally your reactions. I mean, just kind of personally, even apart from you know our role in in young adult and college ministry. 
You want to go first, Kenny? Sure. Um, so so I, I'm thinking of them as, as takeaways for me personally. And I just, that, that impacts how I interact with young adults. I'm just going to, I'm just going to use that as my disclaimer. Um, that we become the product. We use a fr- we use what to us is a free resource, and then in consuming uh, social media and how I go about using it, uh, an AI algorithm is learning my practices and then begins to lead me in that because I become the product that they're making money off of. I hate you that got, you got played, bro. I know. I, 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 I hate that. And then the addictive nature of it. I mean, I'm, I'm aware of the little dopamine hits, whether it's a, a message or a notification, but it is almost a, a, a gamification of it. Like the games that I have when I get a little update or, um, you know, just a little ping. And I, I, I want to look at that. And so I've been trying to resist that urge of just because your phone goes off. You know, I, I thought for years at my grandparents' house, you know, they got this hard line phone just because the phone rings doesn't mean you need to answer it. <laughs> now, if you don't have an answer machine, um, okay. But just because the phone rings, you don't have to stop everything you're doing and pick up the phone. It, and then they're upset when it's a telemarketer because it wasted their time. Well, you didn't have to pick up the phone. And there's, there's just, there, there's some principles to apply here, you know, with it. But I, I, I think that the, the warning signs that are that are being held up and the flares that are being sent by people that were that have been at the the top echelons of social media um, companies i think that's i think it's interesting i think it's i think it's alarming um and and that they just outright say we are, we intentionally are trying to ad- to create addictive behaviors in you that make you interact more with our product because you are now our, because you're our product. So we need access, we need access to you in order to make money. Um, And then I I don't, I don't think it was ever a straight line that they drew or set out right, but there was this hint at because of the way that this is all set up and because it becomes a curated experience, um, we're just going to keep feeding you what you want to see. And so it becomes a giant echo box and, and how that directly has had an impact on elections and, and this last election, how it even compounded to where it polarized it's had this polarizing effect. And, and then I'll, I'll, I'll wrap my piece with this because I'm very curious to hear you guys' perspectives and takeaways. I refuse to believe that somebody else did this to me though. I feel like I have responsibility in this. I'm the one that downloaded Facebook. I'm the one that interacts with Twitter. I'm the one that wants to post on Instagram. They can know human psychology better than I can, but I can choose whether or not I'm going to allow that to usurp real relationships in, in my life. That's maybe that's a archaic perspective as a, as a Gen Xer. But I feel like I have a responsibility in this. I can't just blame it on social media that I went out and picketed and got arrested because I joined this cuckoo group of people that, you know, believe something that's just false about whatever, you know, but it's not my fault because social media did it to me. I, so there's this 
almost a, there was a, there was a perforated line to um, this is polarizing all of us. Um, but I didn't hear the hard connect back to, I have a responsibility as an individual to choose not to allow that to happen to me. Maybe I missed it. No. And I think that's what, you know, when you read some of the critiques and reviews and stuff like that, there's definitely, you know, different uh, perspectives on the analysis and the conclusions that come from that, you know, whatever. But Jeremy, I was definitely interested in you as the true millennial here, you know, Kenny and I are both Gen Xers. Um, you know, what, what was your take? And especially as a father with, with young kids who are pre-smartphone users, like, how does it impact you? Yeah, it was, in many ways, it was a reiteration of information that I knew, but just to a deeper level and to where it was like, it was very, very convicting at the end of it. I think one of the things you referenced, Kenny, they, the kind of drama of this family that's trying to figure out how to use technology and realizing their addiction. And so they have one son who gets pulled into this political field of the extreme center is the terminology that is used. And that it, within that, it's, it's creating that perforated dot that you talked about where none of the interviews point that out, but there are some of the, they, they visually connect some of the dots throughout the movie with this family that's experiencing social media in different ways as adults and children. And yeah, I, one of the, the first, like the first phrase that like hit me as I was watching, I was like, Oh, this is interesting. It was pretty early on, but one of the guys said, how much of your life are you willing to give to this? Mm. And just like that, like, Oh no, it's not time. No, it's not attention. How much of your life are you willing to give to this? And just the, the terminology, the power of those words, at least for me, I was like, yeah, like that's, I can try to, I think in some constructive ways, use social media. I can also try to rationalize all the ways to use social media, yeah. but then thinking like, okay, when I get to the end of my life and maybe I take it a little bit too far, I, I, I don't. You're getting um, dark. Keep going. I, I, don't, like I, it. I don't, I'm the kind of person that. You, Existential. Um, yeah. When I get to the end of my life, like my, my children, like what the, the best social media post or the blog post that, you know, took off, you know, things that I would like, you know, to happen with what I use on social media. Um, like none of those things, like not even my children, like nobody else is going to remember any of those things, but even the people closest to me, like, it's not going to be those things. It's going to be the things that are happening when I set my phone down mm -hmm. and go and do other things. And for me, I've like, I've been aware of this for a while. I get very few notifications on my phone. It's basically messengers to where it's, and not email. I don't, I don't even have email on an app on my phone. I have to go in and I make sure that it's not saved. I have to manually log in so that I'm making the conscious choice Wow. of, um, because for me, the most addicting thing, like a uh, Tristan Harris or the 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 main um, the voice G in the movie, the guy? yeah, is he he talked about his addiction to email. For me, that's the biggest thing. Like I I will use social media to push stuff out, but the stuff I consume is my personal email. I sign up to all types of newsletters, and mm -hmm. so that's the kind of stuff that I'll spend my free time reading. And so um, using less of that 
um, for my kids realizing I, I, this is not like, I don't, how do I keep this from happening to them? And they already know, like, they already know my son figured out my wife's, like he memorized, like we were like, Oh, this is the numbers to get into mom's phone and he can do it. Yeah. Now he doesn't use any of the things. He's three and a half. He knows how to use the camera and he likes using that. But one of, he's one already of the hacked things, the Pentagon, dude. You don't even know it. That's true. One of the things that I thought of, <laughs> I had heard an interview with, I think his name's James Clear, the, the author of Atomic Habits, yeah. where he said every vote or every choice you make is a vote for something. Mm-hmm. And they kind of go into mm-hmm. that in the, in the movie as well saying by you getting on or by you liking different things you're you're voting on what you want to see but i think maybe the closest thing they have to a call to action is mr dreadlocks guy at the end yeah he said like i like that guy yeah if if you could if he said if i can get a few of you to delete your accounts or delete the apps like that's moving in the right direction and like that's that's like being vegan. Well, actually, that's yeah. kind of main, mainstream now. But yeah. So for me, the question is: Okay, what are the what are the choices in watching this? What are the choices that I can make that are voting for the person that I want to become? Yeah. Like I'm 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 still going to use Instagram. That's a great way for me to connect um, with. Like I saw all of my students taking bumpers off of cars and sledding during the snowstorm last week. I would not have seen that any other way. Yeah questionable choices but i knew that they made those choices <laughs> and i just they, want to know way more about that than i should right now <laughs> <laughs> but then like hey which the- which instagram counts let me <laughs> check those out <laughs> <laughs> but then it leaves me with the question of okay what are the small what are the individual choices that i can make that will make me into the person that i that i mm. want to be that i want my family to be and as much you know there's a part of me that's like yeah i just want to get rid of it um, and, you know, do what like Ed Sheeran did, which was just travel with a, an iPad for a while, never had a phone, like, um, but there are, there are, there are benefits to it, but how, how can I set frameworks that I'm not, that I'm trying to use it as, as little as possible and be strategic in it. And maybe that's just me rationalizing it, but I've, yeah, it's, all that to say on the whole, it left me thinking with a lot of things about how I use technology and how it is using me. And I've also been liking a lot less things since I watched it. Mm. Um, but creating that echo chamber thing, one thing that I have done is I went into my podcast. I, I figured out, I mean, if you, with a little bit of research, you can figure out, you know, people that you care about who have very different geopolitical opinions than you the voices that they're listening to so i know who those voices are for those that i love who hold different opinions than me and i went and downloaded a bunch and subscribed to a bunch of those podcasts rather than going deeper into social media things and listening so that i can if trying to figure out okay if there are these echo chambers what are people that are in contrary or contradicting echo chambers what are they hearing Mm -hmm. to help inform me a little bit more because that also means that I'm in an echo chamber and the things that I've liked have perpetuated me seeing more of those things, which has helped me solidify those opinions. So as a small way to try to. So you're an extreme centrist. Is that, is that what you're saying? (laughs) 
I figure if I can get extremes from a few different sides, it'll help me maybe end up yeah. somewhere, you know, the whole, um, the, the middle way that John Wesley always talked about, try to that's, land there. It's really good, man. Media via. That's it. Yep. Um, or Jeremy, via media, do, you, I guess. do you really have to go, Jeremy? I've got a little bit more time. Okay, good. So yeah. we do need to, we'll need to wrap this up here pretty quickly, but here's what I would say, like my response, this is one of those, things you watch and immediately you're like oh yeah let me turn off all these notifications let me you know make my kids put their phone in a bowl you know somewhere before we have dinner together um i immediately you know told my 10 year old like okay sorry dude you can no longer fall asleep watching youtube videos at Mm. night like the ipad is not to be in your bed in your room um and that didn't go over well like at for a 10 year old, I had to like back up the truck yeah, and be like, dude, you're not gonna, you know, and you could make the neurological argument that blue light or whatever, you know, is not good for your brain before trying to fall asleep. I mean, my older daughters, I think they both struggle with falling asleep in a healthy way. Like they have to have the screen on, they have to have something going for them to fall asleep. So I think there's yeah. physiological, neurological mm. things. But it was also like, I've got a 10-year-old son who's going to be susceptible to porn any day now. And if he's got an iPad hooked to Wi-Fi in his room overnight, that is totally not a good thing. Yeah. I mean, so there were some things where I was like immediately, okay, I've, we've got to make some, some new kind of like rules and stuff like that. Um, but I think you can also over, you can overreact um, and you can think like, oh, social media or devices are the problem. And I have a feeling there were, you know, say Christians who, you know, in the 50s and 60s or whenever, I don't know, whenever TV, you know, came around or there was advertising and Christians were like, oh, my goodness, these people are convincing us to buy this kind of laundry detergent or, you know, coffee, Folgers or whatever. Um, I mean, you could probably track this back to all Not through Folgers. Anything but Folgers. Yeah, yeah. Um, any kind of development of technology, there's going to be a sense of risk or or here's what we're giving up or here's what we're letting into our minds. And there's certainly a part of that social dilemma thing where it's really just, it's consumerism and marketing gone, you know, kind of wild, so to speak. Um, and the whole thing about us as consumers becoming the consumed, becoming the products, becoming that which is sold to others. Um, you know, so there's a lot of those kind of ways in which I think you can react and even overreact. Um, and I'm not going to judge where that, you know, line is for folks, but I, I will. You can send it my way. I'll, I'll let them. <laughs> but it was interesting for me as a, you know, a 50 year old Gen Xer to, to kind of react in certain ways, like, okay, here you go, son, give me the iPad now. It's nine o'clock, you're, you know, you got an hour before bedtime or whatever, Um, no more screen time. So part of me was just trying to think like, you know, what's healthy and whatever. What I'm, I guess what I'm more interested in, you know, for our purposes here with Gen Z and millennials, it'll be interesting to see how how do we help young adults think theologically have a biblical worldview about social media and about about what they consume or don't consume or this or that and to me that is the is going to be the question of how do we think theologically critically about this um how are they going to think theologically and critically about this um in a way that can help shape it um 
so I guess that's where I was. And again, I don't have lots of answers or solutions, but I just think that is going to be a big part of the, the conversation and discussion. Yeah, and I think that's a really important point. I, I would posit that one of the issues we ran into in our church in our church history in the 20th century was when things like movies were introduced and we ran the other way. We stopped being a prophetic voice and stopped voting with our money on good movies, uh, moral, morally acceptable movies. And so then when if Christians aren't there voting with, with their lives, it's going to be skewed towards who's showing up. And I think an important thing is also a reality with social media. Maybe the, the answer isn't for everybody to leave it because then who's left speaking in those places. And for us to not only as leaders in young adult ministry, but also to invite our young adults to be a part of theologically constructing, you use a lot of really cool terms, Chris. I would say like, how do we, how do we be Christ-like in our interactions on social media? This is where I also think of um, a recent book by Andy Crouch, Culture Making, mm-hmm. where he talks about different postures that the church can have towards culture. And sometimes we often have a condemning posture when we need to have more of a critiquing posture where we, we critique, yeah. we don't just condemn. So we don't just do that legalistic thing. We're like, that's bad. That's wrong. Run away. But we say, okay, here's what's going on in culture. Let's think about this. Let's figure out the right response, the right posture to have um, towards the culture, towards social media. And I think it is, I think critique is better than condemnation typically. One of the lessons that I've learned from mentors over the years that kept coming to mind as I watched the social dilemma was, is, is it a tool or is it a leash? And in this instance, you know, well, when you allow something that should be a tool to become a leash and you can't be separated from it, then you become the tool. And that's what I was processing through watching it is like, I'm such a tool when it comes to if my phone has a notification or if I had email used to be bad for me too, because, but I, I chalked it up to, and not dismissive of it now to workaholism of not being able, there's, there's that dopamine hit with feeling needed or having to respond to something, or you got a negative response, you got a positive response. And so you want to, you know, we want to give feedback to that. And I got to do it right now. No, you, you don't have to. It's not a leash. Is it a tool or is it a leash? And so, I mean, that was, that was, that's movies, that's, that's TV. That's the, the you know, remember when we used to have really long, um, uh, like pigtail cords, Chris, with our telephones, you know, you had like a 25 foot extension uh, cord. Oh, you're your talking phone. on the phone, you'd yeah. be So you could go in a different, cord. yeah, yeah. So you go in a different room and people couldn't overhear you. It was like it hang up on you if, if, if they wanted to call you. But um, is social media... Uh, uh, do they have those in museums? They do. He's like, what are you guys they, talking about? In, in, I, in fourth, I saw that on WandaVision or something. Oh, yeah. I love WandaVision. In, on a fourth grade field trip with one of my boys, we were in a museum 50 miles away, and there was a phone on the wall, and they asked, what is that? And I was like, well, boys, let me tell you about that. Let me tell you about when we used to use those. Um, but yeah, tool or a leash, is it something that's, that, that I'm, I'm leveraging to use this life giving, or is it something that I'm so captured by that it's become master to me? 
I just, there, there needs to be in the social dilemma conversation, the individual responsibility. Yeah. Um, and, and that each person is responsible for that. Yes, we need taught those things. And, you know, kudos on, on Chris for setting those boundaries with, with his kids. And, and we, we have those conversations with, with our boys. My boys are older. Um, but, you know, in a year from now, guys, maybe we'll be having a conversation about virtual reality and the immersiveness of that and the addictive nature of, you know, operating in a world that, I mean, we're already having it with the internet and it's already here, but I'm seeing, I'm starting to see virtual reality galleries even pop up in my own community where you can go and like interact with that. So in a year from now, that, that'll be our social dilemma is, is having that conversation together. Well, I look forward to that conversation in February, 2021, 2022. Okay. What, what day is it? I'm putting it on my calendar. <laughs> As we wrap as we wrap up this episode, we've got a couple things coming up. Yep. Do one of you want to run through it? Well, I mean, you had a good lead in there, Jeremy. I, it's I did. Chris. I just also, I also just don't know all of your shorthand in our notes, Kenny. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to misspeak. I, I... <laughs> that's fair. That's, that's fair and open to interpretation. Some of the upcoming things, we're going to be a part of the Nazarene Youth International NYI Leadership Conference on next March week. 1st. Yeah, next, next week. As, as of this recording, a, a week from now. And out of that, also tying in with this podcast, are going to be doing live screen, live screams, live <laughs> streams, <laughs> enunciation, really cool. live stream discussions based off the book not done yet you're doing great jeremy thank you <laughs> which will be leading our conversation in uh between the the three of us as friends and then as we bring in more voices more leaders more friends as well yeah to people that actually read the book yes yes yeah. uh as a as a part of reading it together and discussing further how we can engage in young adult ministry in the best ways we can, but moving forward together. We are not done yet. Yeah. yeah good stuff. Good stuff. Beth Severson in that book talks about some bright spot churches that are doing great things to connect with young adults. So we're excited to, to read through that and talk about it together. See if we can help other young adult ministry leaders, um, you know, turn their churches into bright spot churches. We'll see. And out of that, also tying in with this podcast, are going to be doing live screen, live screams, live <laughs> streams, <laughs> enunciation. So until next time. Hey, fail forward. Be present. And be teachable. Be flexible. Be articulate. Be all that you can be. Man, I'm so programmed. I know the tune to that. I can be your hero, baby. Uh, so much editing to do. Thanks for joining us, you guys. We'll see you next time. Yeah. See ya. Peace. Take care.